Hi, everyone. It's your podcast host, Jim Andrews, here with a reminder that the Ticket Manager Partner Summit is back. We'll be getting together in person on October 17th this year at the Times Center in New York City. This is a free, invitation-only event where hundreds of business leaders across the world's most influential brands in sports, sponsorship, live events, and ticketing gather to make great connections and share valuable information. Approved attendees enjoy exclusive networking events, insightful panels, and exciting celebrity speakers, all for free. Are you interested in attending? Just go to ticketmanager.com for details on how to apply. and welcome to Ticket Manager's All Access Interview Series, engaging leaders from across the sports marketing spectrum to identify and explore critical issues in the business of sports, entertainment, sponsorship, activation, ticketing, hospitality, and more. I'm your host, Jim Andrews. Joining me on this episode to discuss the emergence of virtual events, sponsorship make goods, and other aspects of the brand partnership value equation is Nick Carey, Senior Vice President and Head of Sponsorships and Brand Engagement for Wells Fargo. Welcome, Nick, and thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me, Jim. Looking forward to the conversation. As am I. Obviously, in a lot of these conversations, and I think probably all of our conversations uh, these days, talking about what uh, what 2020 has meant. And um, you know, one of the developments that have come out of uh, this year, you know, it's clear that virtual events, when done right, can really be a valuable asset to to sponsors. And you had some success with virtual events at Wells Fargo this past year. Can you share some of the, the lessons that, that you all learned? You know, it's funny to be here in November, kind of looking back at what feels like a lifetime ago in February and March and, and kind of all the things we've learned and how, to your point, born of necessity, have to look at new ways of engaging fans and customers and consumers in general. You know, I think one of the lessons we've learned is, like probably a lot of brand side marketers, is just the need to be nimble, creative, and innovative. And, you know, if a lot of companies were like that already, and for those that weren't, you learned how to, to do it quickly. So, you know, in addition to the lessons we learned, the, the, the thing that I think was, you know, the silver lining of this is just the opportunity to try new things. There are digital technologies, there are uh, platforms, there are virtual events like we're going to talk about that in the past, I'll be honest, were maybe a little bit harder to sell just because, you know, you didn't need them as much. Whereas the uh, pandemic has really forced us into needing those things. Some of the things we did, uh, I mentioned virtual events, right? Uh, our, with our partnership we have with AEG at Staples Center and with the LA Kings and some of the properties in LA, we really shifted into some of the virtual events that they were offering. One great example that I love from uh, just last month was the Lexus All-Star, All-Star Chef Classic, which you know, in prior years was held at the Staples Center with probably you know 15,000 people there for sort of an all-star chef event where they had top chefs coming in teaching people how to cook. Having to ship all of that online was something we thought was really interesting because it was uh, a way that we could engage with local LA customers on our side and bring a really cool experience into their homes. And um, again, with AEG, what they did was essentially sent prepackaged meals to our customers, our guests, but also to other people that were involved in this bigger event to their homes in the greater LA area. 
So you receive a package at home, and then the next day you log in, and the chef is there in a virtual environment teaching you how to cook it. Uh, but you're there with something that's sensory and something you can physically touch and taste, obviously. So I think that's just a really neat way to do a virtual event differently and think about experiential in a different way. And you know, some other things we've done that are maybe more in the core sports space was uh, we do a lot of player meet and greets with various teams we sponsor. So the Mexican national team, for example, we've been a proud sponsor of theirs for many years now. And their U.S. tour and their global match tour is very disrupted, but they are back and they are playing matches internationally. So we've actually done four meet and greets, post-game meet and greets with Mexican national team players and fans after the games, except it's like this, it's virtual. And so people watch the game and then log in and you have a player post-game doing a kind of a Zoom interactive with, with fans. So, you know, not quite the same as being there, you know, sort of in the locker room or in a, in a room at the stadium afterwards. But to be honest, some of these events, we were never going to have people in Mexico City or in, you know, Japan or wherever else they may be playing. So anyway, some interesting things there that I think we uh, certainly have learned from, certainly have allowed us to continue to be relevant for, for fans and for our customers. But then also are going to be things that we probably adopt going forward that have become part of the new normal for how we engage with people in a sort of blended world. You know, it's not going to stay virtual forever. Their physical experiential will come back. I think we're all confident in that. Definitely some encouraging vaccine news today. But, you know, the ability to scale what we do through virtual is certainly something that we've learned from and that will carry forward. Yeah, I mean, I think that makes uh, a lot of sense that um, we don't have to uh, put all of these things away just because right. 2020 uh, will will end. And of course, we're all excited to get back to live events. But but there is there is value in in those virtual engagements, and and it it opens up opportunities that didn't exist before because you know space limitations or ge- other geographic limitations don't exist in the virtual world. Yeah, yeah, and especially needing to be nimble right now with scheduling too, right? Because some of these events um, across all sports, you know, it's things are scheduled and things are canceled because of a COVID test, right? So to to have people at home doing things virtually obviously breeds a lot more flexibility. Well, and 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 part of that kind of leads into what I wanted to talk about next: that that flexibility and and, and getting creative. You know that that requires you know a good partner uh, when we're talking about sponsorships and, and brand partnerships. And, you know, certainly when you talk about things like canceled events and canceled seasons, live audience restrictions, all of that, you know, the traditional sponsorship assets that were part of uh, agreements really just kind of evaporated in some cases. So so then that conversation had to be had about, well, how is there a way to uh, to provide make goods or, or somehow uh, restore some of some of that value, and uh, you know th- those were kind of uh, unanticipated conversations. I think for for a lot of us when, when contracts were signed. Can you tell us a little bit about some of those discussions and what those were like from from your sponsor perspective? Like I said, you know, before in March everything stopped, and I think all of us took a period to kind of regroup and see what was going on. Non-lawyers got very good at understanding force majeure clauses. You know, I think for the way I guided our team to approach this that I think has served us well long term is just. You know, the sponsorships that we have, you know, they're things we've had for a long time. They're relationships we've, we've built. You know, realizing that we're all going through this together, sort of the first approach is really just to be a partner and be empathetic, frankly, to our property relationships. Uh, we're all doing the best we can. So kind of having some flexibility, affording them some time while people figured things out was sort of that first period we went through, kind of in the spring and summer. And you know, some things were not impacted, to be honest. I mean, uh, a lot of our college sports Certainly the spring sports were impacted, but we kind of come through the 
you know, the, the end of the college basketball season. So that was less impacted than maybe our PJ tour event, which was in May, which was, uh, which was canceled. Um, so I think that there's, uh, 40 people, a lot of time. Ultimately though, we were never looking for a refund. Rather, it was a, about kind of having an equitable re-expression of the value is one way to think about it. Really shifting, uh, it was understood we're not going to be able to use tickets. We're not going to have as much value uh, for things that are experiential in nature because fans were not able to go or the event wasn't even taking place. Yet there's still ways we could get value from the sponsorships that we had, uh, short of, again, of asking for a refund, which is sort of a line we didn't want to cross, just again, in the interest of being a partner in, within the industry. So the shift from tickets to more TV visible signage from, you know, fan experiences to digital content and social media posts, the virtual experiences we talked about, all of those things were essentially make goods for other areas of the contract and benefits that couldn't be delivered. So again, as I said before, an opportunity to try new things. And, you know, I think the one thing I would say is that we had, we expected first look as these things came forward. Right there, then there were properties and rights holders that I think maybe reacted some better than others to this. You know, the the saw how well the, the NBA responded with the bubble and MLS with the MLS back is MLS's back tournament. You know, I think there were groups that sort of okay, we're going to do this. Here's what we're going to learn. Here's how we're going to lead into this and really do it right, or at least try really hard. And there were others that were sort of sitting back and sort of waiting to see what happened. I think those folks that really try to push forward and proactively reached out to us and said, hey, look, we know we can't deliver X, but we have Y. And, you know, we might not agree on what Y is, but, you know, it's Y or Z. And we would figure out what that equitable value exchange was to the point where I think we're now coming up on the end of the year. And for the most part, we're feeling like, you know, value is made whole. It's going to impact renewals. It's going to impact the types of assets that we will be able to purchase going forward, right? If there are going to be fans in the stands for some foreseeable you know, period of time, well, we're not going to buy those tickets. And so let's talk about what we can get and what will kind of allow us to accomplish that objective just through maybe a virtual or uh, maybe more content-driven approach. And I, I think that whole conversation, and, and it sounds like from a rights holder perspective, you know, Wells Fargo would be a great partner to have because you have that kind of empathy and understanding about, hey, let's um, look at what's happening to, to our partners and, and be empathetic. But um I think also there's there's always been a conversation to be had about kind of a gap between rights holders and sponsors in terms of kind of priorities and, and what's important. Can you talk a little bit about that in terms of from again from the brand's perspective, what uh, what what makes a, a good partner? I mean, you mentioned some things uh, already in terms of you know bringing bringing things to existing partners first and, and making sure that's a priority. But are, are there others? Yeah, I mean, look, I think that there is a gap. Uh, I think the gap has narrowed during the course of my career. I think what I've seen, if anything, is the gap narrowing because both sides of the table essentially are working with very similar data sets. You have agencies and evaluative prop, um, you know, entities helping both the seller and the buyer. And so the delta is getting slimmer. There's not like a lot of hot deals out there, I guess. Now, right now, I think rights holders are doing a fair job given what they're up against. Right. And again, I, we try to approach this with some empathy and some understanding. However, you know, there is a gap because there are still a lot of uncertainty around scheduling of upcoming seasons or events, the unknown around attendance and whether people could be able to go to events. So, you know, it's not going to be a situation where we just sort of buy what we bought before or spend what we spent before 
when frankly there's a huge unknown around the property or the rights holders ability to deliver on those benefits so it's those are i'll be honest those are active conversations that we're having to have with a lot of our properties to kind of figure out what does that look like now and it's very hard to get a long-term deal done right now when you're building a multi-year contract that would have assets that were really valuable and relevant in 2019 but due to the reality of where we are with the pandemic you know it can't be offered so I think that the you know, team's ability to deliver new experiences at the scale of the value that we were, you know, had with more traditional experiential assets, there's still some work to be done there. But I also get it. I mean, I really do understand that properties and rights holders have had a very hard year and that there's pressure on revenue. I mean, I think there was an article today on ESPN about the Golden State Warriors and how they were slated to lose several hundred million dollars if they can't have fans at their venue. And so, you know, there's pressure. And I I don't know that you can just replace that with social content and digital content for your sponsors either. Would it be fair to say that for for properties that in terms of managing expectations that, you know, at least for, for, for the next year, their sponsors are probably looking at not wanting to go too long term with contracts, maybe maybe doing something you know year by year to see how things are going. Uh, you know, I sort of I can't speak to the broader industry, but I mean, I think for a category like financial services, where ultimately we are in a relationship business with our customers, and experiential and hospitality are important for us. For some other industries, it's a buyer's market, you know, because if you just can buy a lot of content and access, and it's all media driven, then that's a different kind of KPI and objective. We we do value that as well, but we're kind of maybe you know more more multifaceted in the type of uh, benefits we traditionally would buy. We're also dealing with an economy that is recovering from the effects of the pandemic too. So corporate budgets, I have to imagine, are under pressure across the board. And again, with the uncertainty that lies ahead, I would understand if, if brands were not able to do a big multi-year contract. Yeah, and then- we, will, we will recover. I mean, like I I remain very optimistic. Not least of which because of the you know encouraging vaccine news this week, but also uh, sports and you know consumer passion points around entertainment or music or whatever it might be, those are not going to go away. That's excellent, and I think it was a great reminder too that uh, there's no one size fits all conversation here, right? It's it's going to you're not going to uh, have the same conversation with with Wells Fargo that you are with Anheuser Busch or with Toyota. Everybody's in uh, in, in a little bit of a different um, uh, place with with different objectives and different priorities. So yeah, yeah, and it's breeding disruption too. I mean, I think you know the one sort of sort of buzzword comment is that you know the the pandemic has accelerated trends that were maybe five years out. Uh, to right now. And so you're seeing a lot of those emerging technologies and maybe even startup companies who are under you know, a lot of demand for what they're offering because they are enabling either a safe venue experience or a more seamless virtual experience or some other way to engage with their players and teams that they love. Yeah. Anytime we can expand that universe and, and, uh, and deepen the pool, if you will, uh, can, only, can only mean good things, I think, in the long run. Nick, thank you so much. It's been a great conversation. You've given us a lot to, uh, lot to think about, especially as we're all kind of planning for, for what's ahead in, in 2021, as, as much as we can plan these days. But I uh, just want to, uh, to thank you for joining us. Absolutely, Jim. Enjoyed the conversation. Thanks for having me. Awesome. And on behalf of everyone at Ticket Manager, thank all of you for watching. And please join us again for the next episode in our All Access interview series. Mm-hmm.